0: chapter twenty five of a mystery of the boule cabinet by burton egbert stevenson this librivox recording is in the public domain the michaelovitch diamonds M. pigot cool and imperturbable held out to us with a little smile a hand which showed not a quiver of emotion his gauntleted hand and i saw that on the back of it were two tiny depressions at the bottom of each depression lay a drop of bright red liquid. Blood-red, I told myself, as I stared at it, fascinated. And what nerves of steel this man possessed. A sudden warmth of admiration for him glowed within me. That liquid, gentlemen, he said, in his smooth voice, is the most powerful poison ever distilled by man. Those two tiny drops would kill a score of people, and kill them instantly, its odor betrays its origin, and indeed the air was heavy with the scent of bitter almonds. But the poison ordinarily derived from that source is as nothing compared with this. This poison is said to have been discovered by Remy, that remarkable man who brought about the death of the Duke d'Anjou. Its distillation was supposed to be one of the lost arts, but the secret was rediscovered by this man, Crochard. No secret, indeed. Is safe from him. Criminal history, criminal memoirs, the mysteries and achievements of the great confederacy of crime which has existed for many centuries, and whose existence few persons ever suspect. All this is to him an open book. It is this which renders him so formidable. No man can stand against him. Even the secret of this drawer was known to him, and he availed himself of it when need arose. Monsieur Pigot paused his head bent in thought and i seemed to be gazing with him down long avenues of crime extending far into the past dismal avenues like those of Lachaise, where tombs elbowed each other where at every step one came face to face with a mystery a secret or a tragedy only here the mysteries were all solved the secrets all uncovered the tragedies all understood but only to the elect to criminals really great were these avenues open to all others they were forbidden alone of living men perhaps crochard was free to wander there unchallenged some such vision as this i say passed before my eyes and i had a feeling that m pigot shared in it but after an instant he turned back to the cabinet now m simmons he said briskly in an altered voice if you'll have the kindness to hold the drawer for a moment in this position, I will draw the serpent's fangs. There is not the slightest danger, he added, seeing that Simmons very naturally hesitated. Thus assured, Simmons grasped the handle of the drawer and held it open while the Frenchman took from his pocket a tiny flask of crystal. A little farther, he said, and as Simmons, with evident effort, drew the drawer out to its full length, a tiny, two-tined prong pushed itself forward from underneath the cabinet. There are the fangs, said Monsieur Pigot. He held the mouth of the flask under the first one and then the other, passing his other hand carefully behind and above them. The poison is held in place by what we in French call attraction capillaire. I do not know the English, but I drive it out by introducing the air behind it. Ah, you see? He stood erect, and held the flask up to the light it was half full of the red liquid enough to decimate france he said screwed the stopper carefully into place and put the flask in his pocket release the drawer if you please monsieur he added to simmons it sprang back into place on the instant the abourest handle snapping up with a little click you will observe its ingenuity said monsieur pigot it is really most clever for whenever the hand, struck by the poison fangs, loosens its hold on the drawer, the drawer sprang shut, as you see, and everything was as before, except that one man more had tasted death. Now I open it. The fangs fall again. They strike the gauntlet. But for that, they would pierce the hand, but death no longer follows. By turning this button, I lock the spring, and the drawer remains open. The man who devised this mechanism was so proud of it that he described it in a secret memoir for the entertainment of the grand louis there is a copy of that memoir among the archives of the Bibliothèque nationale the original is owned by Crichard. it was he who connected that memoir with his cabinet who rediscovered the mechanism rewound the spring and renewed the poison no doubt the stroke with the poisoned fangs which he used to punish traitors was the result of reading that memoir this crochard or whatever his name is seemed to be a extraordinary fellow observed grady relighting his cigar he is agreed Monsieur pigot quietly a most extraordinary man but even he is not infallible for since the memoir made no mention of the other secret drawer the one in which madame la duchesse concealed her love letters crochard knew nothing of it it was that fact which defeated his combinations, a pure accident which he could not foresee. And now, gentlemen, it shall be my pleasure to display before you some very beautiful brilliance. Not until that instant had I thought of what the drawer contained. I had been too fascinated by the poisoned fangs and by the story told so quietly but so effectively by the French detective. But now I perceived that the drawer was filled with little rolls of cotton which had been pressed into it quite tightly. M. Pigot removed the first of these, unrolled it, and spread it out upon the desk. And instantly we caught the glitter of diamonds. Diamonds so large, so brilliant, so faultlessly white, that I drew a deep breath of admiration. Even M. Pigot, evidently, as he prided himself upon his imperturbability, could not look at those gems wholly unmoved. A slow color crept into his cheeks, as he gazed down at them and he picked up one or two of the larger ones to admire them more closely then he unfolded roll after roll stopping from time to time for a look at the larger brilliance these are from the famous necklace which the grand duke inherited from his grandmother he said calling our attention to a little pile of marvelous gems in one of the last packets crochard of course removed them from their settings that was inevitable he could melt down the settings and sell the gold but not one of these brilliants would be marketable in europe for many years each of them is a marked gem here in america your police regulations are not so complete but i fancy that even here he would have had difficulty in marketing this one and he unfolded the last packet and held up to the light a rose-colored diamond which seemed to me as large as a walnut and a glow with lovely color Perhaps you have stopped to admire the Mazarin diamond in the Galerie of Apollo at the Louvre, said Monsieur Pigot. There is always a crowd about that case, and a special attendant is installed there to guard it, for it contains some articles of great value. But the Mazarin is not one of them, for it is not a diamond at all, it is paste, a paste facsimile of which this is the original. Oh, it's all quite honest, he added, as Grady snorted derisively. Some years ago, the directors of the Louvre needed a fund for the purchase of new paintings, needed also to clean and restore the old ones. They decided that it was folly to keep three millions of francs imprisoned in a single gem, when their Michelangelos and da Vinci's and Murillo's were encrusted with dirt and fading daily. So they sought a purchaser for the Mazarin. They found one in the Empress of Russia who had a craze for precious stones and who at her death left this remarkable collection to her favorite son who had inherited her passion a paste replica of the mazarin was placed in the louvre for the crowds to admire and everyone soon forgot that it was not really the diamond for myself i think the directors acted most wisely and now he added with a gesture toward the glittering heaps what shall we do with all this there's only one thing to do said grady awakening suddenly as from a trance and that's to get them in a safe deposit box as quick as possible there's no police safe i'd trust with em why they'd tempt the angel gabriel and he drew a deep breath can we find a box of safe deposit at this hour of the night asked monsieur pigot glancing at his watch it is almost one o'clock and a half that's easy in new york said grady we will take him over to the day and night bank on Fifth Avenue. It never closes. Wait till I get something to put him in. He went out and came back presently with a small valise. This will do, he said. Stow em away, and I'll call up the bank and arrange for the box. Simmons and Pigot rolled up the packets carefully and placed them in the valise, while I sat watching them in a kind of daze. And I understood the temptation which would assail a man in the presence of so much beauty. It was not the value of the jewels which shook and dazzled me. I scarcely thought of that. It was their seductive brilliance. It was the thought that, if I possessed them, I might take them out at any hour of the day or night and run my fingers through them and watch them shimmer and quiver in the light. The Grand Duke Michael must have been considerably upset, remarked Simmons, who, throughout all this scene had lost no whit of his serenity of demeanour. "'He has been like a madman,' said M. Pugot, smiling a little at Simmons's unemotional tone. "'These jewels are a passion with him. He worships them. He never has parted with them, even for a day. Where he goes, they have gone. In his most desperate need of money, and he has had such need many times, he has never sold one of his brilliants. On the contrary, whenever he has money or credit, and the opportunity comes to purchase a stone of unusual beauty he cannot resist even though his debts go unpaid since the loss of these stones he has raved he has cursed he has beat his servants one of them has died in consequence we are all a little mad on some one subject i have heard it said well the grand duke michael is very mad on the subject of diamonds why didn't he offer a reward for their return queried simmons Oh, he did," said Monsieur Pigot. He offered immediately his old fortune for their return, but his fortune was not large enough to tempt crochard for the Grand Duke really has nothing but the income from his family estates, and you may well believe that he spends all of it. It will be a great joy to him that we have found them. The thought flashed through my mind that doubtless Monsieur Pigot was in the way of receiving a handsome present. There they are," said Simmons and closed the bag with a snap as Grady came in again. "'I've arranged for the box,' said Grady, "'and one of our wagons is at the door. "'I thought we'd better not trust the taxi. "'Might turn over or run into something, "'and we can't afford to take any chances. "'Not this trip. "'Simmons, you go along with Monsieur Piggott "'and put an extra man on the seat with the driver. "'Maybe that Crochere might try to hold you up.' "'The same thought was in my own mind. For Crochard must have learned of Monsieur Pigot's arrival, and I could scarcely imagine that he would sit quietly by and permit the jewels to be taken away from him. To say nothing of his chagrin over his unfulfilled boast to Godfrey. So I was relieved that Grady was wise enough to take no risk. You'd better get a receipt. Grady went on and arranged that the valise is to be delivered only when you and Monsieur Pigot appear together that will be satisfactory monsieur he added turning to the frenchman entirely so sir very well then i'll see you in the morning i congratulate you on the find it was certainly great work i thank you sir replied monsieur pigot gravely au revoir monsieur and with a bow to me he followed simmons into the outer room grady sat down and got out a fresh cigar well mr lester he said as he struck a match what do you think of these frenchmen anyway they're marvelous i said even yet i can't understand how he knew so much maybe he was just guessing at some of it grady suggested i thought of that but i don't believe anybody could guess so accurately for instance how did he know about those letters fact is broke in grady that's the first i heard of him what is that story i told him the story briefly carefully suppressing everything which would give him a clue to the identity of the veiled lady there were certain details i added which i suppose were known to no one except myself and two other persons and yet m pigot knew them then again how did he know so certainly just how the mechanism worked how did he know which roll of cotton contained that mazarin diamond you will remember that he told us what was in that roll before he opened it Grady smiled good-naturedly and a little patronizingly. "'That was the last roll, wasn't it?' he demanded. "'Since that big diamond hadn't shown up in any of the others, he knew it had to be in that roll. It was just one of the little plays for effect them Frenchies are so fond of.' "'Perhaps you are right,' I agreed. But it seemed to me that he handled that mechanism as though he were familiar with it. Of course, he may have prepared himself by studying the drawings, which no doubt accompany the secret memoir. He may even have had a working model made. Grady nodded tolerantly. Them fellows go to a lot of trouble over things like that, he said. They like to slam their cards down on the table with a big hurrah, even when the cards ain't worth a damn. He certainly held trumps this time anyway, I commented, and he played his hands superbly. He's an extraordinary man. A great actor, Grady supplemented. Them fellows always behave like they was on the stage, right in the spotlight. It makes me a little tired sometimes. Hello, who's that? The front door had been flung open. There was an instant's colloquy with the desk sergeant, then a rapid step crossed the outer room, and Godfrey burst in upon us. He cast a rapid glance at the bull cabinet, at the secret drawer standing open, empty, and then his eyes rested upon Grady. "'So he got away with it, did he?' he inquired. "'Who in the hell do you think you are?' shouted Grady, his face purple. "'Coming in here like this, get out, or I'll have you thrown out.' "'Oh, I'll go,' retorted Godfrey coolly. "'I've seen all I care to see. "'Only I'll tell you one thing, Grady. "'You've signed your own death warrant tonight.' "'What do you mean by that?' Grady demanded, in a lower tone. "'I mean that you won't last an hour after the story of this night's work gets out.' Grady's color slowly faded as he met the burning and contemptuous gaze Godfrey turned upon him. As for me, an awful fear had gripped my heart. "'Do you mean to say it wasn't Pigot?" stammered Grady at last. Godfrey laughed scornfully. "'No, you blithering idiot,' he said. "'It wasn't Pigot. It was Cresciard himself.' And he stalked out, slamming the door behind him. End of chapter 25